Hey, look at that. It's time for episode 12 of the Double Blue Podcast. Mike Hogan and Jeff Johnson with you. Corey Chamberlain will join us a little bit later on on the program, the defensive coordinator of your Toronto Argonauts, getting ready for the Edmonton Eskimos Saturday afternoon, 4 o'clock, second of five straight Saturday home games. Remember how the yes. schedule used to suck, Jeff Johnson? It was terrible. <laughs> now they actually have a decent schedule. That's awesome. Yeah, that's wicked. And uh, it's Edmonton. We'll, uh, we'll preview the Edmonton game coming up in uh, segment three of the podcast. But we're going to do uh, sort of the midseason awards coming up. I guess that's what we do. It's not officially the midseason, but it's a bye week. It's sure. after Labor Day. Um, before we get to that, though, um, how tough is a bye week after a tough loss? Oh, it's tough because it, uh, you know, that wound opens up. Yeah. Right. And it bleeds a little bit and it bleeds a little bit more. And especially. Um, oh, come geez. on. Uh, yeah, it, it, it can be tough and, you know, um, it, it would affect everyone's bye week, right? Mm-hmm. Guys are looking to take uh, take a break, get away, um, get their minds off of football. When you lose that a game that, you know, a, the Especially Labor Day Classic against Hamilton. Against that team. Yes, yes. It just, uh, it sits on you a little longer than you'd like to. Yeah. Um, takes a little longer to throw it in the toilet and flush it. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, you know, it's something that would have happened over that that time period, and from what I understand, the the boys are looking good so far this week. Mm-hmm. So far, so good. Uh, let's get to the awards, shall we? And and we recognize what happened in the first half of the season. Who's your most outstanding offensive player? Well, Hogue, you know what? There's lots of guys uh, I think that um, you could draw some attention to, but I mean, it's really hard to look past uh, the pivot mm-hmm. captain at the ship, number mm-hmm. fifteen, Ricky Ray. You know, he's had. Uh, an incredible year. I mean, and to say that is, you know, you look back at all the years he's had, he's for the most part, pretty incredible every season. Yeah. But, uh, I, you you expect him to throw for 300 now. Like it's, it's funny how he's to that point where if he doesn't throw for 300, you go, what happened? The benchmark has been raised. Yeah. 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 And, um, he looks to me like, uh, he, like he's in his mid twenties, like he's in his mid to late twenties. He's pushing the ball downfield. He looks loose. His arm looks very strong. Mm Mm-hmm. He's, uh, you know, top of the league in terms of throws over 25, 30 yards, Mm -hmm. which, come on, this is Ricky Ray we're talking about here, right? He's not known for that, right? Um, He's known for the one, two, three progression check down, one, two, three progression check down, Uh, you know, swing it out to the running back, hit the crossing route on the receiver. Mm -hmm. And uh, there he is pushing it downfield to his targets. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, some key targets that he has, uh, you know, on either side of him. But uh, you know, yeah, it's very exciting. Record's not great. He's also, uh, you know, he's leading the league um, at the top. Sorry, not leading, but he's right behind Trevor Harris in yards thrown. He's mm-hmm. over, you know, he's over 3,300 yards and or so. sadly, he'll pass Trevor. Right. Not that it's sad that he's going to pass Trevor. Right. It's the way that he's going to sure. go about it with Trevor. He's a little uh, mic'd up. on the six-game list, so. That's right, that's right. Well, but I mean, uh, you know, it is very exciting, and uh, Ricky is only going to get better in the second half of the season, which uh, you know is is certainly an upside for the Argos. So yeah, I'm rolling with Ricky. One of the, one of the differences in in the offense this year is that Ricky has more confidence in his receivers. Yes. And the guy wearing uh, 19 is pretty good, and uh, I'm going to go bad. with SJ, just because not because of the effect that he's had on Ricky. And and you mentioned that Ricky Ray is putting the ball up deep more than usual. Um, yeah, I don't know how much of that is scheme or just it's he's he's comfortable. He's confident when he puts the ball 25, 30 yards downfield. SJ's going to go get it, and that's uh, that that's a big component of the offense. So it's a one A one B. It's almost like you know Ricky's better because SJ's here. SJ's 
great because Ricky's getting the ball, and uh, it's a very um, symbiotic relationship. So. It's a nice duo, Hoagie. Yeah. It's a pretty incredible duo, yeah. and, uh, I mean, I think you're bang on. I think one does benefit from the other. And uh, you know what? When you have a guy like S.J. Green, and he's not the only receiver there that that Ricky no. can trust, right? But Devere was hurt for most of the season, and right, you know that's that didn't help. No, no, it didn't for sure. And uh, but but he knows that when he puts the ball in the area of S.J. Green, he of you know every any receiver in the league, I think he's got the highest potential to bring that ball down. Sure. Oh, absolutely. So. He's fun to watch. There's no question about that. And uh, it's tough to bring two jaded guys like us out of our seats. But, uh, <laughs> boy, he, there has been some exciting moments. There huh? have been three or four this Come year on. that I just did not think he was going to get. Hellacious catches. Just fantastic. Uh, MVP defensively. This is this is more than a two-horse race. Yeah, this is, uh, you know what, when we were thinking about this, talking about it, I just thought, oh, man, you know, it, you can't really – Isolate a single guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the best defenses that I was a part of were units that were literally, I know it's kind of cheesy, but they were one almost. Like, mm-hmm. they they worked as one. And, uh, you know, we can get into some details around the different units and, and the success they've been having in a moment. But I'm, I'm to be honest, I'm taking the whole defense. It, it, this is a defensive oh, a effort. Out. No, no, uh, no, se- no, come on. That's Seriously. Weak. I mean, for it to be, for the defense to be as good as it has this year, You've got to have a flow of communication. It's not just about the fastest guy out there. It's not just about the strongest guy out there. It's not just about the guy who's going to hit somebody the hardest. It's about putting all those moving parts together, playing flawless defense, communicating, no broken coverage, Mm -hmm. uh, guys getting off the ball, the linebackers, you know, Mm -hmm. Bear Woods, Marcus Ball, Plummer, they know what the D-line is going to do, Mm -hmm. right? And they don't just know that because... They lined up with them and, and didn't say anything to each other. They're talking constantly. They're communicating. The D lineman, like... And that's Cassius Vaughn, a big part of that as well. And he's he's all about the communication. No so. question. Oh, yeah, right. He's just on the back end right yeah. now. He's playing some free, you know, free safety, halfback, wherever he yeah. is, right? With this defense, he can plug and play. Mm-hmm. Cassius Vaughn is a big component of that. And, but you know what? When the guys line up, like if, if uh, you know, Dylan Wynn gets down there and he's a shade over the, you know, right guard's leg, Bear Woods and Marcus Ball and Cassius know what he's going to do, mm-hmm. right? And if it's a run play, they know where he's going to go. And that's not just because of the play that was called. That's because they know. They know what Dylan Wynn does, mm-hmm. right? They, they communicate with each other. And, and Dylan will say, turn around and say, hey, listen, when I'm got leaning on a specific shade, this is what I'm going to do. And the guys have, have developed a rapport with each other that is a championship rapport on mm-hmm. a defensive side. And, you know, they, the guys are close, no question. They've, you know, they're hanging out together. They're doing some fun stuff together, and, and it shows on the field because they are electric. This defense is awesome, and it's kept them in games when, you know, the offense was sputtering. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, the offense has had some great games, but there's been a few when they've been sputtering, and the defense has played every single game this season. So it's an exciting group, and, uh, I mean, yeah, there's lots of there's stars on the back end, that guys that have, have stepped up and made a lot of plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't want to discount uh, individual efforts, but to be honest, defense, it's not about a single guy. Sure. It's about the group as a unit, and you know what? They're an MVP oh, unit this although year. Although if Victor Butler was healthy for all oh, <laughs> every goodness. game, this would be the easiest conversation. Unreal. And the only reason I didn't put my check mark next to his name is he just in four and a half games. He's still leading the CFL in sacks. That's ridiculous. Which is insane. But, Unbelievable. Um, 
I'm going to go with Bear Woods uh, just because he's helped settle things down. Yeah. Um, the Argos have had a pretty good run of middle linebackers, uh, right? You know, from McEwen when you were there to, yeah. to Corey Greenwood and Greg Jones. And they've had that guy in the middle who could make the tackles. Sure. And uh, maybe that was lacking with some injuries last year um, uh, that they didn't have that guy or had to force a guy to play. You know, maybe it was better to have Corey play outside than inside. Yeah. But they didn't have the guy that there every game. Bear Woods has settled down that possession, position. He knows, as you mentioned, what the guys immediately in front of him are doing. Mm-hmm. They know that they can take a little bit of a risk because 48's behind them to clean up. Well, that's what defense is about. Yeah, he just... he just Guys got each yeah. other's backs. And he just doesn't miss tackles. No, super. Con- he's Mr. Consistency, right? Consistency, yeah. but brings it hard, right? And yeah. he, he's... Uh, He's communicating. He's talking. You see him out there. He's you know he's pointing. Marcus is pointing, yep. and, and they know what's going on. And you know it's comforting to know that your middle your your, your middle guys yep. have such a, a grasp on on what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. And you know that the defense is there. And and I mean your your middle LBs, Bearwoods, Marcus Ball, Cassius Fawn, Plummer, who you know yep. again plug and play. They're all doing a fantastic mm-hmm. job. They're the conduit to the flow of communication oh, from sure. one Absolutely. side to, to the next and to the back side with the free safeties and the D linemen. And, you know, they're keeping that unit intact. So it's, uh, you know, you, yeah, I love your call and, and rolling with bear. Okay. Let's, uh, let's see if you, uh, have grown a pair in the last five minutes. Uh, do you have a player that you can pick on special teams since you ignored the question on defense? Beat it. Um, well specials, you know, what specials, uh, you know, near and dear to my heart. And, uh, mm-hmm. there's quite a few guys that have been flying up and down the field, making plays, uh, you know, I'm going to roll specifically from an MVP perspective. Uh, there's a few guys, but I'm, I'm going to go with Levi Noel. I think he's mm-hmm. having another great year on special teams. He's leading the team mm-hmm. in tackles with 14. He's up near, up there near the top across the league. And every single time they kick that ball, he's near the ball. Mm-hmm. He's near the ball, and uh, he's making some great blocks on the other side as well. And but I want to, you know, honorable mention to a couple other guys as well. I think. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, James Wilder, obviously, sure. he loves being on the football field, mm-hmm. whether he's being a running back or he's in special teams. He's just pumping right through guys. And I think uh, having an, an, an energy guy like that uh, on special teams is, is a key component to the success of the unit. And then Mr. Tuggle. Honestly, <laughs> Tuggle is yeah. uh, he is a force to be reckoned with. I don't know. You know, we, <laughs> we're we up on the booth. We're up on the nosebleeds. You get and pumped. You, you zone in on this guy. <laughs> I can't do it because oh, I've got to watch the ball. Dude. Gonna, I'm, I'm just going to watch Tuggle. I can't wait oh, to watch Tuggle. My goodness. And you just lock in on that guy. Well, you, you know, you're going through the play-by-play, and I just see Tuggle blow through about four <laughs> guys that are in a, in a you know, trying to uh, – it's a wedge, yeah. on a wedge return on the other team. And Tuggle's just flooring guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there was a player that I played with a few years ago by the name of EJ Kowali. And he yeah. was one of those guys, right? He hit like a ton of bricks. He was he had a skill to project his his force, or he could, uh, you know, through the use of physics, take his body and go through other bodies. And 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 Tuggle does that, yeah. right? It's a skill I've only seen a couple guys do it. Um, and 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 again, I can promise you, the team's getting fired up when he does that. Oh, and sure. then they get in the film room, pull up some film. Let's see what Tuggle's doing. Mm-hmm. And it you know only inspires the guys around him, right? So. Sure. Uh, Having a guy out there uh, does a ton for your special teams unit, but um, yeah, my man, my guy right now is Levi Noel. I'm going to go with a guy who, and this is probably a combination of what he's been able to do aside from special teams. But the guy who's out there calling the uh, the blocking assignments and getting downfield tackles are down a little bit, but I'm going to go with Declan Cross, yes. who is a devastating blocker. Yeah, um, you know, uh, Learham had a couple blocked field goals. Uh, in the first week against Hamilton. Yeah. They've been clean since. Um, you know, he's had time when punting the football, and part of that reason is the guy right in front of him. And uh, Declan Cross, 
And this, again, this is maybe a combo award because of what he's done as a surprise on offense as well. But uh, I'm going to go with Declan Cross as, as a special team MOP. Yeah, no, Hoagie, I like that call. And you know what? He's also playing a, a leadership role on special yes. teams, right? We're making he's the a guy calls. calling the signal, he's, right? he's making the calls on punt, yeah. and that, that's not an easy thing to do. You've mm-hmm. got to have some recognition. For a second-year player. For a second-year player. Very impressive. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. You know, it took me about 10 years before I gave that guy. <laughs> and... But I mean, seriously, the, how long did that take you? Before it took me a few looked? years. I mean, yeah. my, my teammate was O'Shea for a long time, so O'Sh was always the guy. He had Crawdaddy calls, back right? there as well, so you had and some really smart Osh, guys that you played with. Then I was making the call with Crawdaddy, and yeah. it was the two of us back there. And yeah, and and again, you've got to be able to recognize the punt return team. There's some pressure on you because you got to get it right, mm-hmm. right? The guys up front on the front line, the center, the guards, the tackles—they're relying on the call back to make the right call. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, there's going to be confusion. If there's confusion, there's a block punt. And that's a non-starter as far as I'm concerned. Block punts should never happen. And uh, so, yeah, you know what, Declan, again, in a leadership role, great, great call. And uh, it's always fun to have those guys hitting hitting other people out there. But I think, again, another little honorable mention. And, you know, I think Martise... Has had a has a has had a solid season. Martise Jackson yes. on the return games. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's you know I think he's third in the league punt returns about three fifty or so. Had a couple called back. Had a couple called back mm-hmm. right uh, on some questionable calls, but oh, it is what it is. Winnipeg was ridiculous. That was terrible. Yeah, it was. What was it, that woman's what name? Was that a mile out, uh, behind the play? Yeah. What was the woman's name? I Cost her a million bucks. Yeah. Do we? Whatever her name was. Terrible. Yeah. That's tough. Do you think she thinks about that every day? I would. Yeah, I would too. About four times a day. Unbelievable. <laughs> so yeah, there is that all day. So yeah. So no, Levi's been great, and uh, and and Jack and uh, Martis, and there's, there's there's been a lot. Um, surprise. Who's been, which player surprised you the most? Like, from where he was at the beginning of camp, or in another situation, or just a guy you knew nothing about when he came up here? Uh, well, I, I mean, this guy's in his second year, so I, I knew something about him. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest surprise uh, is Declan. Mm-hmm. I really think uh, not only not just special well, teams, catch. but now on the offensive side, he right? can catch. He can catch, Remember, but the first target he had last year was a yeah, game of yeah. BMO. There was nobody within thirty <laughs> yards of him. Whoops! Did Nerves. he do one of those kind of cross hands thing where the ball comes, you that hit, was... and the hands came together, but there was no ball, and you <laughs> yeah. kind of just end up with your hands crossed? <laughs> His only problem this year was when he scored the touchdown and fell down in the end zone. <laughs> But that's the slippery surface down there. Yes, right? That's yeah. the one end zone uh, where it's yeah, a little slick. Like, come on, quit being a dink. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do. No, he's, but he's been fun to watch. Like, yes. I'm, I'm thrilled that they're able to get that kind of production out of that position. Couldn't right? agree more. We, you're yeah. you're, you're yeah. familiar with the position. I am, I am. And uh, the biggest surprise is, uh, you know what? Hey, they're giving him a chance. And yep. sure, they went to him last year. He made a mistake. But then they continued to go with him a little bit last year, not much, mm-hmm. and almost now he's like become kind of like this secret weapon guy, yeah. right? Like you know, Declan's in the game. What's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, you got to watch him because when he's when the ball's not coming to him, he's hammering somebody and putting them on their back, yeah. right? So uh, it's pretty awesome and, and great job by the coaches, Marcus Brady, Mark Tressman, say like you know what, let's give this guy an opportunity because he's leading the team by his effort on the field. Mm-hmm. So let's give him a ball. Let's throw this guy a bone. And when you throw him a bone, all of a sudden. He starts scoring, scoring touchdowns, yeah. turning up field and making some plays, making the catches. And uh, you know what? I couldn't happen to a better guy. So uh, he's my biggest surprise. How about you? Uh, I'm going to go with the guy I watched play in the OUA. And when I saw him play at Guelph, it was like, hmm, he's okay. He'll play at the next level probably, but I don't know if there'll be anything special. Then he went to Montreal, never got a chance to play. Yeah. So when Jeff Finley signed with the Argos, I went, yes. okay, there's a depth player. That's a guy who will come in, he'll do anything. He got an opportunity to play this year. 
holy crap, was he good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just did. He's a different player than he was uh, when I saw McWelf. He's playing with such a fire, such speed. And to get the opportunity when, when Cleon Lang got hurt to step in, and he recorded more sacks in his first two games than he did in four years in Montreal or three years or whatever it was with the Alouettes. Mm-hmm. He's just, he was a different guy. So, you know, he hasn't really played a ton, but when he's a part of that rotation, they don't lose a thing. And that's saying something when you've got a guy like Cleon Lang playing ahead of you. And, 100%. Uh, just, I did not see that coming and I'm so happy for the kid. Yeah, neither did I, Hogue. And uh, he just, you know, he gets off the ball so hard. He's yeah. aggressive and he drives and often he's in a double team situation, right? A couple times he has been and he's driving guys back. And if he's not, if he doesn't beat somebody, he's driving the, the guard back and still getting into the quarterback's mm-hmm. face. And Jesus, you know, he's one of those guys where the motor doesn't stop. And when you have a guy where the motor doesn't stop, as as many of the Argo D line has been this year, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you got uh, a killer force and a guy that you want to have around. So yeah, no, I, I think uh, Finley's been a big surprise too. So those are our awards. Uh, when we come back, we will have uh, a look ahead as the Argos host Edmonton Saturday at four o'clock. And uh, we will get to that next as we continue with the Double Blue Podcast on TSN 1050. Okay, welcome back to the Double Blue Podcast. Jeff Johnson has stepped out of the room for a few minutes. Mike Hogan back with you. Um, our guest here has hit the highlight. You have won a great cup, correct? Two. You have, yes. You, you have been the coach of the year in the CFL. Correct. I still hear your name pronounced both ways. Yeah. Chamberlain and Chamberlain. Yes. I go by Chamberlain. My brother goes by Chamberlain. So. Come on. <laughs> no, it, it just depends on how you say it. But uh, I pronounce this Chamberlain. That's okay. what it is. Yeah, even though it's spelled like Chamberlain, we were raised as Chamberlain, so that's yeah. what I go by. Okay, that settles that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to ask how much fun you're having here in Toronto. Oh, way too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, way too much. Uh, it's, it's very, very exciting. You know, the guys here are great. We have a great locker room. You know, Jim and um, Mark has done a great job of putting some good guys in that locker room to coach. And, uh, you know, they pick everything up. They enjoy it day by day. And uh, it's, it's good to be around the coaching staff as well. We have a good mm-hmm. coaching staff. So just enjoy being here. Ensley High School, Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, that shocked me. I hadn't heard that in a long time. What's what's a Friday Night Lights game like down there? Uh, you know what? Ensley's no longer there. They closed our high school down oh, uh, no, y- really? years ago, and they combined it. But you know what? For us, when we came up, Friday Night Lights, uh, we played. We played at Legion Field, which used to be the big one oh, where sure. Alabama yeah. would play. And, uh, you know, it, it was pretty good. That was for our home games. I mean, it was fun, you know, just to play high school ball, you know, to play against some of the, those, those good guys in Alabama where, you know, football's king in Alabama. We mm-hmm. love it. Uh, everyone enjoys it. You're going to get good crowds. And it was just a, you know, fun atmosphere. How, uh, how revered was Biscuit Bennett at your high school? Biscuit. Biscuit, you know what? They love him. They retired his jersey. I uh, bet. Yeah, they retired his jersey. You know, it was good. It was good to um, – I can remember in our younger days, uh, probably ninth or tenth grade, he came back. He brought all of us some Reeboks, you know. Oh, and, nice. and that was good, man, just to have someone come back and show us that it was possible to go to the NFL. And, you know, our, our hopes and dreams, you know, really, uh, you know, were raised to the next level by us seeing that, hey – Someone that we know has done it, and you know, mm-hmm. it just opened the door, and all of us thought that we were actually good enough to make it to college and play in the pros. When did you know you were good enough to play at the next level? Oh, I, I, I like did. grade nine, it, grade it, ten. You, you know what? To be honest with you, um, we just had fun doing it. It was a hope and an aspiration. Uh, even when we ended up going to Tennessee Tech, you know, we thought we were good enough to play at that next mm-hmm. level, and it was just a mindset. You know, um, I think I started starting in grade ten, which was unusual in our high school. 
And I was playing like outside linebacker and tailback, but I was weighing like 135 pounds <laughs> starting outside linebacker from the defense. But, you know, I'm playing with some good guys, and, you know, we had guys that ended up going to Notre Dame, huge schools, and, yeah. you know, it just kind of gives you that confidence that you can go to the next level. Which position did you have the most fun playing? Not oh. what you were best at, but yeah. what was the most fun for you? Oh, tailback. Oh, yeah? Running back. You Glory know. hog. Oh, huh? man, I, I loved it. <laughs> just because I was, I was kind of fast in high school, mm-hmm. and just running past people it was pretty good. You know, uh, I couldn't catch – Still can't catch, but just to, you know, be able to line up and uh, run the ball was good. You know, everyone wants to be either the quarterback, running back, or yeah. something where they're touching the ball. But, you know, it, it was a pretty good, you know, pretty good deal. I enjoyed it, and uh, it landed me here years later. Why Tennessee Tech? You know what? It was, um, it was an unusual situation. Coming out of school, I had my eyes set on Alabama, and mm-hmm. we talked for the longest. And I probably turned down Mississippi State, Auburn, and a couple of teams. And then at the end, Alabama – didn't offer that full ride, and, and the guy from Tennessee Tech, he kept bothering my mom, saying, you got to take a, a, a visit to Tennessee Tech. you got to take a visit to Tennessee Tech. And I was like, Mom, there's no way I'm going to Tennessee Tech. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ended up going there, and what's unique about it is my it was me, my mom, and my father, and Jim Raglan, whose past was our head coach. Okay. And I can remember sitting down with him, and uh, he, he told my father this, and this is when my family really was sold on Tennessee Tech, is he says, I, I know Corey wants to go to the NFL. He says, that may, that may not happen. But I can guarantee you if he comes to Tennessee Tech, I'll make sure that uh, he makes that million dollars that he wants to make. And my dad was like, well, how is that? (laughs) I really want to know. And he says, I'll make sure that through his four years here that he ends up with a college degree and that he's at least making over 35000 over 30 years and he'll make that million dollars. Nice. And and, and when he gave me that, that was that (laughs) nugget of truth and that was the realism of life. Mm -hmm. Instead of, you know, really shooting for a dream, it was about – being grounded and having good hard work and having those principles. So, you know, signing day went. I still was waiting on Alabama and, and what they offered. You know, it wasn't a full ride. My parents were like, you're going to Tennessee uh, Tech. And I was like, Mom, but I can play ball here at um, Alabama. And my mother, who was pretty wise about it, she says, you can go there and you might be third on the depth chart and you never play. If you're mm-hmm. good enough, you'll make it from Tennessee Tech. And I was like, I don't know. You don't know what you're talking about. But uh, fortunately, some things linked up. It happened that I did end up making it from Tennessee Tech. Uh, did you expect to be drafted? I did not. You no. know what I'm saying? And that, no. At that time, it, it wasn't usual for FCS guys, which no. it was one double at the time to get drafted. Like now you have all these guys that drop down from FBS to come there and they're getting drafted third round. You know, you, you, you want it to be drafted, but you expect it to at least get a free agent shot. Uh, and, and that's what happened. So how, uh, when you become a free agent, how many teams – when you went through the process, like there were no pro days, right? It was just you were. Well, just... You, you can have pro days, but at our smaller school, we didn't have. Yeah. One. And, so and how that, did you sell yourself? Well, th- here's the thing. At that time, you know, I can remember trying to find and get to other people's pro days, and it didn't happen. But for me, what actually happened was this: uh, I can remember in the summer, Phil Savage from the Ravens came to scout us. He's like, "Hey, all these guys in Alabama. Every time I go there, they're always telling me I need to go up to Tennessee Tech and check this guy out." So he checked us out. He watched us practice. So I ended up getting hurt my senior season, and, and this is a unique story. I didn't actually play. The whole season. Okay. And I have a real good friend, Josh Simonette. He and I are good friends to this day. We were starters, and then there was a guy that backed me up. And what happened is after I hurt my hip, what would happen is Josh would act like he was hurt for a play or two. And that's how I got my reps. Really? To get back in. So he'd leave the game. He's like, hey, coach, I can't play. So I rotated in. And then, you know, until I got healthy, you know, so I went from that backup role back to um, – and I never really started, mm-hmm. but I had just as many tackles, just as many interceptions. So uh, it was one of those things where we was like, hey, I got to play. You know, let's get those reps in. Uh, but moving to the story, after the season was over, I went to this scout camp in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And in the scout camp, I ran like a 4-3-40 for the scouts. day later, Mike McCarthy from the Hamilton Tiger Cats called and says, hey, I want to sign you to a CFL contract. And I can remember it was like – 
March or something. And I can remember outside the one in Tennessee, it was a little uh, snow falling. And I was like, there's no way <laughs> that I'm going to Canada. It's cold outside now. I'm never going to Canada. Mm-hmm. And I think the dollar was low at the time. And yeah. I was like, nah, I'm not doing that. It's too cold. I'm staying here. And um, what happened actually was working out for all these teams. You know, Dallas called. Uh, Indianapolis called. You know, this is pre-draft. Uh, and then what happened was right after the draft, I mean, excuse me, right before the draft, our defensive coordinator, Mike Smith, mm-hmm. uh, who was the head coach of the Atlanta yeah. Falcons, was he ends up getting a job as a quality controller for the Ravens because Brian Billick was his brother-in-law. I didn't know that. So Brian really? Bradley was his brother-in-law, so he, he gets the job as a quality control coach. This And then nice. I'd already ran for the Ravens. Mm-hmm. So when they get to the draft meeting, um, here's, here's the GM, the assistant GM. Everyone has an Alabama connection. They ask about this guy at Tennessee Tech. And then here's Mike Smith that says, yeah, I coached him. So that's wow. how the connection happened, and that's how I was able to uh, get into the NFL with the Baltimore Ravens through Mike Smith. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it was just one of those unique uh, – God aligned things that, hey, good, I went to Tennessee Tech because I still end up getting to the pros because of the right connection. So, mm-hmm. you know, he and I still, you know, stay in touch, but that was just a good thing. Glad Brian Billick got that job. What was it like the first time you ran through the tunnel at an NFL game? You know what? It, it, it was unique, man. It, 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 it was so unique to be able to play. You know, um, I left from Baltimore and I ended up going to Jacksonville. Yeah. And uh, that year in Jacksonville, we were 15 and three. We only lost to Tennessee three times, including the AFC championship game. Right. You know, so. Uh, that was very unique, man. But I tell you, going from a Tennessee Tech from a small school to the NFL, there's so many levels in between. You mm-hmm. know that the way that the, the things are coached, you know how big the playbook is, the unique, the details of it. There's so much in going from a smaller place to a larger. I mean, to that to that small school to the NFL. That you know, it's, it's it's a little bit different, but you have to get used to it. You have to get used to the crowds. We go from having twelve hundred people at our crowds <laughs> to now you're in front of eighty thousand yeah. people. So it, it's unique, and it's like really you know just achieving a childhood dream. I used to go back glory days, sixty-two uh, seven. Yeah. You beat Miami in a playoff game. Yeah. Did you do anything of note in that yeah, game? Yeah, I blocked the punt. Yeah, I blocked the punt. It's, it's always unique because um, Chris Berman, uh, he has a little spill on ESPN because I blocked the punt. And, and he goes, Shazam, Shazam. I was so happy ball still rolling around. I didn't even pay attention to it. One of my friends scooped the score. But I was just so excited to block a punt in that game, man. And, you know, um, I blocked a couple in college, but the block mm-hmm. a punt was good. And whatever they did, they, that day was wrong. But, uh, you know, it was good because that was Dan Marino's last game, you know. Oh, yeah, that okay. Was, that was Dan Marino's wow. last game. Oh, what a way to go out. Yeah, it was. Oh, so, you know, man. For you, it was great. Yeah, Maybe not great. for him. <laughs> yeah. Um, you ended up bouncing around the NFL a little yep. bit. Then you go to Europe. Uh, NFL Europe. What was that experience like? Oh man, you know what? Europe, Europe was so unique, man. It was, it was so different, you know. Um, and it's funny because I didn't want to go to Europe because here again. You so know, you hate Canada and you hate oh, Europe. I was like, there's no way <laughs> I'm going to Europe because I don't know what they eat. So I'm like, there's no way. The only thing I ate every day was Burger King, and um, they had they they, they had uh, I can't remember what it was, and then they had some America's cookies that from Walmart. Okay. I, I just filled up on that all the time, but. Um, <laughs> You know what? It was it was it was very unique, man. I made a lot of friends over there. Um, well, it's funny. Scott Milanovic was the offensive coordinator mm-hmm. for my team when I played. You know, and it's unique. So got to know him there. But it was a good deal, man. You know, it really broadened your horizon. You know, going over to Europe, seeing how they live. You know, hearing mm-hmm. the foreign language, and you know, just daily riding the bus and seeing you know all the differences. You know, as a young kid, uh, it just really opened my mind up to the possibilities of you know what? It's not just in the states. It's not just in Alabama. Mm-hmm. There's a whole new world, and you can make it anywhere. Now you stayed over and coached. Um, I, yeah. did, did you expect to go right into coaching after playing? Was that something that <laughs> you had in your mind, or was this just an opportunity? You said, eh, I'll try it and see C- what it's like. Coming out of college, what I said is I'll give the NFL one year, you know, if, or try to make it. This mm-hmm. was before even the draft. And I said, if I don't, 
I'm um, maybe a high school guidance counselor or a coach or something like that, you know, somewhere along that lines. And um, I, I did and I didn't, but along the way in the NFL, you know, what I found out was there were so many people, the guys are backing up, helping those guys to have good careers, making millions of dollars that one day I figured out, oh, yeah, I'm a coach. But really what struck the light was when I was at Tampa and um, I was probably toward the end of my career bouncing around and mm -hmm. I met Mike Tomlin and Raheem Morris. And I was like, okay. dang, you guys are young. You know, I think Mike was like 29 at the time. And I was like, I didn't know 29-year-old pro coaches existed. Yeah. I was like, how does this happen? And, you know, so that kind of, that light kind of went off. And then when I went to um, Europe, I came back to India and I was hurt. And then they had an NFL Europe program for coaching. So I got in that. Oh, okay. And okay. it just so happens I got in uh, that and started interning. And I coached. And then it's taken off since then. So, you know, like I said, I was about 27, 28 then. Um, went to Europe, and then after that, I ended up uh, going to Canada or coming to Canada, which was a unique uh, deal. You got the opportunity after a couple of stops as an assistant coach to go to Regina be a head coach. Um, yeah. Do you think you were ready? Like, uh, were you? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when, when you say ready, uh, I don't. For me, you, you're only ready when you get to a certain point. I guess that you know, there's only so much you can get ready for. Sure. Before you have to actually walk. But you in know, it. but you know, it's like now yeah. you've been able to look back at yeah. this and say, okay. Sometimes younger guys are ready for the coach. Yeah. Some guys think they're ready, but yeah. not. You were able to do both. Like you, yeah. you, you were a young guy who seized the opportunity, and it worked out. Yeah. And, and you know what really helped me do that is um, once again, you know, going through and the guys that I was around, you know, seeing it and and you know to see. I always look at Mike Tomlin. He was like that guy. He was kind of like looking at biscuit, like, hey, if he did it, why can't I yeah. do it? You know, what does it take to get to the NFL? You know, mm -hmm. I remember going to biscuit and, and those years back, and he told us this is what we had to do. Okay, the same thing with Mike, just, you know, emulating and seeing what they've done, seeing what he's done. And it was just about, hey, let me prep myself. Now, I thought that I can remember telling my mom, I said, hey, I'll be a coordinator in this league in about seven years, a head coach in about 10 or 11. Well, There's a timeline. It, 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 it was, and I, I figured that, but it happened way quicker than I expected. Yeah. And the first time I did not get it because I didn't expect it. But what happened was when I did not get it the first time when I interviewed in SASC, then that whole year was just about prepping to be a head coach. Gotcha. You know, so learning from Marcel Bellafay, yeah. learning from all the coaches, like, okay, let's prep and let's see. And then I took it, and then what I hired is some experienced assistants who would know some things that I didn't know. But for me, like, it was like, if, you, if I can lead one, I can lead 10. If I lead 10, I can lead 100. Mm -hmm. So it was like, okay, well, I've been an assistant DB coach. I've been a DB coach and a coordinator. And now it's time to be a head coach. So the leading of men was the easy part. Mm -hmm. The hard part was just, you know, learning the nuances of the game from sure. the head coach's level, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, and that's what I see that for the most part, you know, either you, you've grown to be a leader or you're not, doesn't matter, or, you know, but it's how much you know of that and how much how to be a, more so of a manager. Mm -hmm. And that was the key, working with management, looking also at personnel is seeing, okay, now I have to be able to say, is this guard good enough? Gotcha. Is this receiver good gotcha. enough? Yeah. Is this quarterback good enough? where I just finished learning how to actually grade the defensive guys. So that's mm -hmm. the one place where you might have been a little bit weak learning the personnel, whereas you're not going to learn until you get into the job anyway. You ruined uh, Dan Marino's last game. Yeah. Uh, you also ruined for non-Saskatchewan fans the 2013 Great Cup because it wasn't a game. There you go. Like you, you go. came out and you, you, you put the boots to them. Yeah. So I won't ask you about that because you've been asked about that enough. But yeah. I th the thing that I take for me is not the game because it was so cold. And I was, uh, I was doing the radio sideline yeah. reporting yeah. For, for your sideline that game. I was terrified all week. Yeah. 
Because it was minus 4,000 degrees all week. Yeah. It was like literally minus 30 to 40 with yep. the wind chill every day. Were you terrified that week that you were going to have one of those freakishly cold games that really wouldn't allow you or Hamilton to bring out your best? Oh, I knew it allowed us because we had been in the cold. Still. <laughs> there's mean, cold, uh, cold and then there's cold. Well, but here's the thing. And, and, and Tyrone Brackenridge will tell you this. I mm-hmm. used to tell the players all the time when they'd come outside complaining it was cold. And I was like, okay, you didn't sign with the Saskatchewan Dolphins. <laughs> you knew when you came up here, it was cold. <laughs> Not the Saskatchewan Dolphins, mm-hmm. Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Why yeah. do you think he's saying it's rough? And really, um, but I will tell you a funny story about that. We did go outside more than them because we knew that they were coming from here on the east and coming out there. We had been settled in it enough for the next last yeah. couple of years. I can remember Orlando Steinauer saying, this weather's not for humans, it's for bears. Mm-hmm. And when he said that, I was like, yeah, we're going to get you. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, it was cold. We went to uh, inside one time, but you know we were pretty much prepared for it. And it was just about having a mindset of we knew that may be our advantage versus that team because of the weather. The uh, that, So there's the high. The, the low comes a couple of years yeah. later. An unbelievable roller coaster you went through in a very short amount of time. Yeah. It's still a first-time head coach. Yeah. What – now that you're able to look back at that process, what did you learn about yourself and what did you learn about the profession? You know what? Um, for me, the profession is no different than being a player because I've bounced around and been cut six times. Sure. So, you know, uh, being phased out or, or, or you learn or what I've learned even through that process is there's a season for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to go through extreme highs, you're going to go through extreme lows, but in this, in this profession that, but you have to make sure that you stay balanced. Mm-hmm. You have to keep everything balanced. You know, um, you have to prepare your family that, you know, hey, we may be moving at any given time. You know, that, that's just the way of professional sports, mm-hmm. whether you're a player or a coach. Uh, but the biggest thing is is when I learned through that process, you know, um, it, it, it's just about how to fight. You know, mm-hmm. I've always been a fighter, but that was just my latest test. And, you know, there's a lot of things, uh, you know, throughout my career and throughout my path to the pros as a player and a coach, I've always had setbacks, mm-hmm. you know, and I've been able to overcome those setbacks and go through that adversity. That was just the latest one. You know, yeah. but that was the first one as a coach. You know, I've had him as a player, but not as a coach. So that was the first one. And uh, the biggest thing that I've learned is sometimes, like I said, when your season is up, no matter what you do, it's out of your control. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it's just time for the team. Sometimes it's time for you to move on. I enjoyed the head coaching role. I enjoy being in Saskatchewan. But right now, right, I mean, the lessons that I'm learning here, mm-hmm. just about football, just about myself, if I'd have stayed there, I wouldn't be able to be in this role right here which has helped me to grow to whatever my next role may become. What's the uh, what's the biggest thing you've learned with Mark? Uh, you know what? The biggest thing I've learned with Mark is, you know, it's, it's all about balance. Mm-hmm. It's all about that balance, you know, because Mark's been in those same situations or whatever, you know. Um, and, and the biggest thing I want to say about balance is all over. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's family balance. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's about that. It's about the, you know, the balance of, um, you know, not getting too excited, not getting too low. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing also, working with Mark, and I was thinking this last night, the biggest thing is, Mark and I are so different, yet we are so much alike. How so? Well, and the things that, you know, Mark is very articulate. Mm-hmm. We say the same thing, but we say it different. And no matter how big a room is, people are going to hear things different. Uh, you know, whereas he, he expresses more through his articulation. Uh, we are both very passionate, but mine shows more than his. But Mark, yeah, is, Mar- but Mark yeah. is very passionate. When you talk to him about something, you just wouldn't know it because his doesn't come across as strong as mine. We know where you are on the field. You, you, that, <laughs> <laughs> it, which is the same thing. So, yeah. and, and like I said, is is I'll say something and I'm like, okay, good. Mark just says it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like I said, the same with passion. He'll say something with passion, but his passion is different from my passion. But yet we're the same person. And I think it's just a balance of knowing, okay, 
with this group, I have to articulate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. With this group, I can have a little bit more passion, you know, mm-hmm. because it's not just offense and defense. It's about individual players, individual coaches. Yeah. They all hear things different, mm-hmm. and you have to be able to capture the room to understand who needs more passion, who needs more articulation. And that's the biggest thing going back as a head coach is the other thing is being a defensive head coach, you, you can speak with passion and probably – probably 95% of the defense gets you, yeah. but maybe only 8% of the offense is getting you because gotcha. they're used to articulation. Yeah. So now gotcha. you have to find that balance of, okay, how do we reach it? Whereas the same with Mark is, okay, here it is. When he talks to the defense, there has to be a certain level of passion because that not that they don't play with passion, but we play with a different energy and we exude ours, and you always know where the defensive players are. We talk more, right? Yeah. And uh, so that's what it is, just finding that balance of how to reach everyone and still how to be effective. Who made the call uh, to bring you here? Was it Mark or was it Jim? Uh, you know what? They um, they were, they both were in on it, you know, in the sense that um, I think, you know, Jim, they actually had my old number, Mark did, and he tried to reach out a couple of times. But, um, you know, they both discussed it, and I think um, they talked about it, but Mark was the actual person that I t- spoke to first. And I think Jim reached out to me and told me, hey, Mark's looking for you, you know, and then um, we went from there. So it, it was a very good phone call. Uh, unfortunately, when we first spoke about it, I, I was like, no, nah, I don't think I'm doing it. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm doing it. It wasn't because of the role. It's just like, you know, how much you – know, I, I was in love with my family. I've always loved them. But at that point, I was in love with my role of being a father and a husband. Sure. You know, and I was giving them all of me. And I was like, okay, here it is. I'm going to Toronto. You know, I'm going to give them all of me. Okay. And it's not just about being a DC or a head coach. It's about when I start to give up Corey. Mm-hmm. Okay, because the role is the role. Yeah. But when I start to give someone Corey, it's, okay, where's my return? What's the actual return? Because as a coach, the return should be wins and losses, whatever it is. But, you know, I tend to give a little bit more. And that's the same with Mark. You know, we tend to give a little bit more of ourselves mm-hmm. than just our role demands. Are they up here? No, they're, they're in Arizona right oh. now. So they, well, how, see, I don't know how you guys do that. Whether it be a player, mm-hmm. and I understand, you know, uh, your better half in a lot of cases work. Yeah. And, and it's tough for them to come up here and quit the job and yeah. come up here. And it's not like you're making $5 million yeah. a year, right? So, yeah. you know, I, I understand. But, man, that's got to be tough. Well, for uh, for us, it was one of those things where uh, they've been with me the whole way. Yeah. Uh, they got settled. And I was like, hey, you know, and uh, they're in Arizona first. They school age? Uh, they, they just start going to school. So okay. they're, they're, they're six and four. But they're so settled. The house is settled. But they're so settled in school. They have a very good school system. Mm-hmm. And um, what, what they do is, you know, in the summers, they're in Calgary. That's where my wife's from. Mm-hmm. And uh, they come to all the Western games. Nice. And then we have the two bye weeks and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and, and when I work, I work. So they understand. My wife's like, well, it kind of makes sense for me to only see you and the kids to see you just when they go to sleep every night. They can yeah. see you on FaceTime. So uh, let's yeah. get it done. And Mark has a, a coach-friendly schedule to where it's not like we were up here 12 months. So that was a real kicker. It's like, okay, hey, this may work out. You know, because when I'm working anyway, they don't see me. Mm-hmm. So it worked out. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. Um, I go to practice for the first time, and I saw some familiar faces on the field. Yeah. Uh, how happy are you that some of the w- wounded guys are starting to come back? Oh, man. You know what? I, I, I made. Um, I was talking to Sean Lemon this morning, and I said, okay, this is how this goes. Is it you wanted to wait till Victor came off, and then you come back? I said, yeah. is the country club in here, and you guys are getting uh, <laughs> bonus points or something? So it's just like you and your buddy at Tennessee that, that's Tech. That's what I'm saying. So, so, so they're doing something. And the same with Cleon and Finley. I'm like, you guys are working something out. Yeah. But, um, no, you know what? I'm always happy to have those guys, man. I wish we could play them all. I wish there wasn't a cap on who could play and play all these guys at one time because they all deserve it. But, uh, you know, I'm happy to just, you know, have those guys in there. But we got a next man up. You always hear it cliché. Yeah. but. The next guy in, we start over when they come in to the basics to make sure they know it. But just happy to have the next guy in. I hope we can continue to play at a high level. 
Wish we had more time. This was uh, this was a great get to know you session. Thank you for doing this and, no uh, and go get Edmonton on Saturday. All right, brother. Thank you, man. Awesome. All right. Thank you, guys. Right, Appreciate you. it. Yeah. That was defensive coordinator Corey Chamberlain. When we come back, JJ and I will break down the Edmonton game for you as we continue with the Double Blue Podcast on TSN 1050. And back with the Double Blue Podcast, Mike Hogan and Jeff Johnson. Our thanks to Corey Chamberlain, very entertaining man, and he's done a nice job with that defense. Considering the injuries that they've gone through, that's incredible what he's done. No kidding, Hoagie. He's done an unbelievable job. And, and to have guys moving around the way they do, kudos to him. Uh, Saturday, 4 o'clock is the kickoff. It's the Edmonton Eskimos in town. I hope the crowd is as engaged as it was the last home game against Montreal. I know it's been like couple of weeks now since they played there yeah. uh, with the Hamilton game, the bye, the Calgary game. So it's been a while, but uh, my Lord, I, I, I can't remember a post Argo game having that kind of atmosphere, the buzz, the buzz, you know, back to Liberty village afterwards yeah. uh, over to Williams and having a great time over there and just people wearing the gear and it was the X and it was just, it was one of those times where Argo fans didn't have to go. Yeah. I'm an Argo fan. Like they could yes. just, you know, Heads up yes, high. I yeah. am an Argo fan. Yeah. Deal with it. Yeah. Which I wish happened every day. But uh, of course, little things like that. And if they can get the same kind of mood and some more bodies in the seats against Edmonton, that'll be fun. I yeah, completely agree, Hogan. I mean, the weather is supposed to be unreal. It's mm -hmm. been incredible this week, and you know, it's nice to see that the, uh, kind of a group or a, a you know a culture that's almost started in, on the field or in the locker room is spreading into the into the stands. Oh, right. So, so define culture in the locker room. Well. Um, I think it's the number one uh, foundation for a successful organization. You got to mm -hmm. have culture amongst the players. You've got to have basically relationships. They've got to have a relationship with each other. They have to trust each other. They have to get along with each other up to a certain point. I mean, you, you know, you get dysfunctional families all the time, but when it's time to go to work, you've got to, you know, be on the same page, right? And mm -hmm. guys, um, it's just such a vital component to a winning team. Like you look at, the champions across the different leagues. Look at the Penguins. Look at the Patriots. Mm -hmm. You look at, uh, you know, the Patriot Warriors, way. the Spurs, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, these teams have a culture in their locker rooms. The mm -hmm. players aren't there. It's not about me, right? Mm -hmm. Even though the Penguins have a guy like Sidney Crosby, it's not about him, mm -hmm. right? You ask Sid who it's about. It's, well, it's about the guys around me, right? Tom Brady's the same way. It's not about me. It's about what's going on. It's about all these different, different moving parts. Mm -hmm. And... You know, and that's the culture that has bred within the Argonauts. And I think that's the heart, the biggest, probably the most difficult shift to happen in one year. And the Argos, the staff, Jim Pop, they've managed to do that. So, so where does that come? Does that have to come internally or does that come from the coaching or is it a combination of the it's, two? It's both, right? It mm -hmm. comes with the right people mm -hmm. and it comes with the right coaches around those people, right? And if you don't have the right, the right characters and the right combination of characters and, and teammates, it's not going to work. And, uh, you know, when you have some adversity like we had last week, mm -hmm. um, and when you don't have a good culture, it just folds. You know, in the last couple of years, you could see the Argos in games. Something would go against them. It would go bad. There would be, a, you know, a play that, uh, you know, went the other team's way. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like a black cloud came out over the Argos sideline. You could just feel it. Guys just deflated like the balloon popped mm -hmm. and they were done. You know, on the Argos sideline now... I really believe that they, they think that they're in every single game, regardless of the score. And, and that's the culture that has, you know, kind of bred on that sideline. And I think that, you know, is vital to winning now that the Argos are going into this final seven games, right? Having that solid foundation and that culture is, is, is so key. And to be honest, I, you know, you kind of look at this Hamilton game. And to me, I equated it to 2012 a little bit. Also, Well, we had a similar culture. We had a good culture in the locker room mm -hmm. and we had a good team. 
and it was like we were going through the season. There was ebbs and flows. We'd win, we'd lose, we'd win, we'd lose, yeah. we'd win, we'd lose. And guys are like, man, are we ever going to get this together? Then we play against Winnipeg, and we got slapped in the face. And this Hamilton game, I kind of look at it like you know, you're you know, you're looking at somebody, and, you know, maybe you're gonna you're gonna battle with somebody, and all of a sudden okay. they they hit you with a quick shot to the gut. Oh, right, and it deflate. You didn't see it coming, right? And so that, I, th- I think this Hamilton game was almost like they didn't see it coming, and it's a gut check. And every player by week, perfect timing, go back, look in the mirror. Hey, you know what? If we don't turn this around now, we're gonna mess this up. We've got a great team. We got a great opportunity to to do something this season. And this is the time to flip that. So I'm looking at these next uh, seven games for this plane to start to ramp up, and it's going to start against Edmonton here. Okay, so let me ask you the comparison between the two games. Because when people look back at the Grey Cup year in 2012, they'll say the Regina game, the last game of the season, is one that turned around. Yeah. I agree with you that it was the week before in Winnipeg. Yeah. Uh, sorry, in Toronto against Winnipeg. The game was in the 30s each way. And I looked at that as the positive because we knew the defense was great. Yeah. The defense had an off night. But that showed me that there was a pulse with the offense, which sure. we hadn't seen. We knew it was capable of happening. Yeah. Um, you know, Chad was having his year. Uh, Andre was having a good year. But it was still everybody getting together and, and being that group. Because you had, mm-hmm. you know, Barnes, you know, had Inman, and you had all of these really good players. But it was just getting everybody together on the same page. You know, you were making your contributions. Sure. Um, and Ricky was, was Ricky. And it was this new guy. And I was like, okay, when's everything going to click? So for me, that was the biggest thing about that game was the offense clicked. Mm-hmm. What did you see Monday in Hamilton that would allow you to think that on the field they're about to make the same kind of turn that you did in 2012? Well, see, so you look at it. You looked at it a certain way, and that's more of an X and O kind yeah. of. I didn't look at the game that way. Okay, I didn't look at it as an X and O. I looked at it more. It was a. It was. It was a team internally that literally you know looked at each other and looked in the mirror and said hey you know we're gonna mess this up and and we've got a team that can win mm-hmm. right we know we've got all the right parts that can win and i mean you know what the the defense uh the argos you know were solid on monday but the the mm-hmm. offense kind of sputtered right and then there was a couple of you know key mistakes at bad times a couple of penalties and um i just really look at it as it was a gut check moment it was it mm-hmm. was you know, the, the game, similar to that Winnipeg game, we thought we were going to roll over them. Winnipeg was, you know, I think they were at the bottom of the bear, yeah. you know, last place in the West. And a lot of players thought we had, the, you know, the game would was it was a walkover, right? Mm-hmm. It was it was kind of done. And I don't know if the players, and you know, going into the Hamilton game, if guys thought it was done. But I can tell you, some guys thought, oh, this team's 0-8. We've got this. Oh, this is a piece that, of cake. That's natural. Right. It's natural. Especially and, uh, for the guys who weren't exposed to the rivalry, all right, and didn't know right. much about the Labor Day Classic or hadn't seen the one in the East or whatever the, the reason may be. That's right. And, and so provided the guys in the locker room can use this as a springboard, mm-hmm. I, think, uh, I think this could be a great opportunity to, to use it um, to build momentum going into uh, this last stretch. And uh, you know what? The Argos have not fared well against the West Division teams. Mm-hmm. Right, they haven't won a game against the West so far this year. Edmonton's pretty beat up. The Edmonton's beat up, so they need to they need to to do this and they need to do this convincingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, the uh, game is Saturday at four p.m. and they're going to be honoring the uh, the military. Uh, going to be a very hefty turnout of uh, of Canadian Armed Forces personnel there. Uh, with any twenty or thirty dollar ticket, five dollars will be donated to the Canadian Armed Forces. So that's that, that's, that's a good thing. And even more importantly, from our perspective, fly over. Yo! 
Ooh, you got me excited. We were so upset on on Labor Day. We're you're looking uh, to the west. I'm looking to the east. We're going. Where's where are the planes? You know, where are they? We've missed it every year. Like we, I, I, I've missed it anyways because the flyby comes by. Sorry, when I say I've missed it, I missed trying to capture it on my phone. So mm-hmm. at the Labor Day game, I had my phone recording yeah. for probably like ten minutes <laughs> early. So I had the. Th- <laughs> So we're in the booth going yeah. over, you know, talking yeah. and going away. And meanwhile, I've got my phone. I'm recording the sky, yeah. right, trying to just scan it back and forth. Meanwhile, they didn't even come by. So I was a little disappointed. I had had to free up some space on my phone afterwards. There too. was also one thing you wanted to mention about uh, the peanut uh, allergy sweets being available this yes, week. Yes, yes. So for families and kids that uh, are, uh, you know, are allerg- have peanut allergies and nut allergies, there will be a peanut-free, nut-free uh box at the mm-hmm. Argo game and it's to support um you know awareness around that and and to you know say to kids and families hey you know what there's a spot for you too mm-hmm. uh with the Toronto Argonauts and it's great of the Argos to offer that uh, to the community oh absolutely and I know that uh, there are a couple of super fans out there Debbie Bruce has been in contact yes. with you Bill you the soul man that's right uh has has that in his family as well so they're they're beyond ecstatic that these things work and it's just something you know the, I have allergies, but no food allergies, and it's something you never think of it, right? Because it doesn't affect me That's right. or my family. But for those who it There's does, affect, thousands that yes. millions that it affects. Right? So this is uh, this is an opportunity to go out to a to a stadium and enjoy a game and not have to worry about something that you have to worry about every other moment of your life. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got four kids, Hogan. I mean, yeah. I kind of I, I would uh, be on edge. Mm-hmm. All day, every day. Oh, right? sure. I mean, all it takes is one mistake, and yep. uh, you're in trouble. So, yeah, no, it's uh, it's great. I'm, I'm I'm really happy that the Argos are supporting supporting this uh, initiative. And Debbie Bruce has been unbelievable with the organi- with the organization for I don't know how many years, forever. Yeah, but absolutely, uh, she's constantly supporting. So uh, that uh, that is basically going to do it. Uh, you have been fairly accurate at predicting wins. Uh, we won't talk about Labor Day, but you've been pretty good this Beat year. Beat it. Well, yeah. yeah. Who did? Who didn't? <laughs> Come on, who didn't? Uh, so let me put Fair you enough. on the let me put you on the spot this week. Uh, banged up Edmonton team, banged up uh, Toronto team. Although uh, some of the walking wounded are, if they're not going to be ready this week, um, Cleon Lang, Victor Butler, what, uh, what? Johnny Sears really? Jr. Aquazi uh, was out early as we're recording this. He wasn't with the ones, but he was out running around in pads and helmet. Nice. So, yeah, the, some boys uh, are coming back. The band, Elwood. They're getting the band back together. <laughs> and we know what this team is capable of when everybody is healthy. So, uh, man, they're, they're getting close. And I don't know. We'll, we'll wait to find out what the, uh, what the uh, forecast is for the Lemonator, mm-hmm. trying to get him back into the lineup. But uh, they're, they're starting to get some guys back. And, boy, not a moment too soon. Yeah, no question. Well, uh, I mean, we know the defense is going to come to play, mm-hmm. right? And I think the defense, particularly the D-line, is going to be a s- significant component Riley's an unreal quarterback. Yes. Right. I mean, come on, his grit and his grind—you just gotta love it. Yeah. Right. Like he's just like he's so inspiring the way he plays football and uh, uh, getting in his grill mm-hmm. is going to be very important for the Argos, and that's going to have to come from that D line. And um, they're still going to move the ball. You know, they're they're running the ball too, yeah. right? So Bear Woods, Marcus Ball are going to have to be on edge. Plummer, Cassius, if he happens to be back in the in the box, uh, Cassius mm-hmm. Fawn versus on the back end. Um, they're going to have to make some plays. So I think the defense is going to have to continue to do what they do and maybe have uh, one of their better games. Um, but where I'm looking for a big uh, surprise is this offense, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. they just haven't been able to get something steady going. I mean, they've showed some awesome glimpses against Montreal yes. and 
just move the ball and uh, uh, hopefully they can get that, you know, the first 15 rolling, get the momentum, get the confidence, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and continue, uh, you know, to kind of move downfield and, and then finish, convert those threes into sevens. Um, but I'm going Argos. I'm going mm-hmm. Argos. I think they're going to be in the 20s and I think Edmonton is going to be, uh, you know, maybe six or seven. Really? Yeah, I think the defense is going to be unreal. Holy smokes. Throw Walker back and you're still going there. Well, I, you know what? If, if you look at all the numbers and, yeah, both teams should put tons of tons of uh, you know yardage in the air. But, mm-hmm. again, Edmonton's a little banged up. Sure, Walker's back. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping – I'm, I'm I'm hoping for an Argo uh, defensive performance that is the best all year, and they're going to inspire the rest of the team. Well, very good. If you're listening to this on TSN 1050, we'll have the game for you at 4 o'clock. That's the kickoff. We'll have the pregame show before that as well with Andy McNamara. Uh, if you're listening online, thank you, as always. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll do this again next week. How do we do, Jacob? Thumbs up from Jacob Dearlove, our producer, so it must have been an okay show. Awesome. That's good. Thank you, JJ. Thanks, buddy. That uh, has been another episode, number 12 of the Double Blue Podcast for 2017.